Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your DFS preview for this week's American Express. And joining me to break it all down, it's Sia Najad. Sia, welcome in. Rick, thank you for having me. You are a titan of the industry, and it's honestly, honestly, it's an honor to be on this show with you. So thank oh, you for having me. Thank you very much. We can find you on Sirius XM, right? Co-host of the Win Daily Show. Is that where people know you from? That's right. I uh, I do some work, uh, both football and uh, golf related with uh, WinDailySports.com, and we have our show on, on Sirius XM, uh, Fantasy Sports Radio, and, and a few other shows as well on our just YouTube channel and things of that nature. Love it. Stoked, uh, stoked to have you on here. So we're just going to do this. We'll start at the, you know, the top of the board. We'll work our way down, but we've got to talk about this event first, Sia, because the American Express, not the career builder, not the Humana, not the Desert Classic, not the Bob Hope. I think I've covered most of them there. Uh, this is the American Express, and there will be no amateurs this week. So because of that, we don't need a third course. So we cut out La Quinta. That, that's gone, and we're just playing the stadium course this week and the Nicholas course. So we'll kind of dive into a, a, a bit about maybe the rotation a bit, but uh, not going to look like it has in previous years. Yeah, which is a really good thing, right? Because w- whether it's the names or the number of courses, like this is kind of getting confusing. So now we just have two courses to deal with. The course we're going to be on for the most part has shot links, so that's fantastic. So I'm actually looking forward to it. I like the change. I like the regular cut after two days. So, um, you know, frankly, I don't like the alternate course thing just in general. So if it's going to be filtered down to two as opposed to three, I'll take some of that. Well, there's something about the course rotation, and we see we see the two course rotation a little bit, right? We see it at Torrey Pines. Uh, I guess Pebble does the the three course rotation. You usually see the three course rotation here at the American Express, and I think it takes a specific type of golfer, right? I mean, uh, someone who can just kind of roll with the punches, go with the flow a little bit, who might be a quick learner because you're not going to get as much practice time in as you normally would on a regular week with just one course to focus on. You've got to be almost prepared for everything and i think some guys see it i think they embrace it and i think other guys hate it to be quite frank yeah i I agree with you and it's almost rick it's almost like that guy that you know that dj type who just sort of puts his head down and and doesn't really matter where he is he's got the same sort of demeanor um obviously dj's a a weird example because he's the best in the world but you know what i mean those guys are just like they just show up and they have that demeanor like okay this is what we're doing today okay that's cool let's go the stadium course, that's the host course. That is the course that Sia mentions has shot link data. So they'll play that once either Thursday or Friday and alternate with the Nicholas tournament course. And then they'll move over to the stadium course for the final two rounds. So you play all four, Sia, you get three rounds at the stadium course, you get three rounds of shot link data. And uh, that's, you know, better, better than most weeks, I would say. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's definitely better than most weeks. I'll, I'll take this one. 
Uh, before we jump into the 10K range, this is a big week because Connor McGregor is fighting Dustin Poirier this weekend. And what more is there to say? Morning Combat, which by the way is like the best name ever, uh, that's Combat with a K, is your source for betting previews, fighter interviews, and instant reaction to the biggest UFC of the year thus far, which see a I mean, I'm excited for it, but it's only been 18 days. That's to say it's the biggest event of the year. I mean, come on. I mean, I'm sure it's big, right? But, you know. Well, well, Rick, the American Express is the biggest event of the year so far, 2021 at least. There so, you go. There, there you, you go. go. Love it. Uh, download and subscribe to Morning Combat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are found. But now let's talk some golf. The 10K range, which has already been altered in quite a big way, uh, led with John Rahm at 11,500 and in about 15 minutes after these salaries released, uh, released on DraftKings, Sia, John Rahm withdrew. So we do not have him at the top of the player pool anymore, making Patrick Cantlay at $11,100 the most expensive player on the slate. Brooks Kepka, $10,800. Tony Finau, $10,500. And Patrick Reed rounds out this tier at $10,200. So see ya, boom. John Rahm, he's off the board. Now where do we focus our attention with the remaining four golfers in this tier? Yeah, you know, it's it's weird because I don't want to be on the chalk and, and obviously ownership percentages aren't really out or defined yet. But uh, honestly, here, Patrick Cantley is going to be my guy. I mean, we know he's a California kid. We know he hasn't been playing. Maybe that'll keep people off of him a little bit. And also just because he's super expensive and he's priced up. But in this range, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lean on Brooks Kepka here. I I think I need to see more from him before the break. You know, he he really wasn't very good. And you know, last time we saw Tony Finau, he wasn't very good. It's Rick, you maybe you give me your take on this from a recent form standpoint. Like obviously we haven't seen much over the last two months, so maybe we don't lean on that. But I saw enough of Tony Finau to, to not lean on him at this price. So of these four guys, I think Patrick Cantley is the guy I'm gonna lean on. And by the way, you know. T to green, this guy is is the best of the field. I mean, approach off the tee. Uh, you can just go on, you know, your site, Rick, uh, rickrungood.com and just, you know, filter by the T to green numbers. And that's what you're going to see. You're going to see Cantley at the top. Wow. We even get a rickrungood.com plug. You're going to be back on every week. You keep this up with the flattery. <laughs> good site, man. <laughs> uh, much appreciated. You know, it's, it's interesting, right? Patrick Cantley had... Um, everyone had a weird 2020. He had an even weirder one because he played the Genesis. Then he had that surgery on his deviated septum. So he was already taking, planning on taking a few weeks off and coming back for the player's championship. Well, of course, that's when the world flips. We get 91 days with no golf and, and everyone has this long break. So Cantlay did not play a lot in 2020, but towards the end, he goes out, he wins the Zozo. He finishes T17 at the Masters. He finishes T13 at the Tournament of Champions. And Sia, this is what I kind of like is now the most expensive golfers, 11,100. You can make a lot of really good lineups with Cantlay. I, I might be too enticed to pass him up. Yeah, and I agree with you. And by the way, he was ninth here in 2019. I don't think he played in 2020. But, you know, his, his most recent appearance here, he had a top 10. So I agree with you. And by the way, I've, I've made some lineups. And I've definitely made at least one lineup with Cantlay. And frankly, you can go Cantlay. And then, you know, we'll talk about the next ranges. You know, it, you can go a couple elite guys here and then take some really good guys in that 7K, that middling 7K dollar amount range or the lower end, which – there's a bunch of guys there that, you know, a lot of us played last week. Some let us down, some didn't, but I'm I'm more than willing to fire again, even on those guys that let us down. Again, we'll get to that range, but you can absolutely make plenty of types of lineups with Patrick Cantley jammed in there. You you certainly can. Um, you know, you you mentioned Tony Finau. I want to mine into him for a second. It's 
It's weird. You know, he has all the raw talent in the world. I actually think it is a compliment to him that he doesn't really have a great course fit because I think he can play well a lot of places, Sia. But I, I just, my problem with Finau is getting him right. You know what I mean? He he rarely foreshadows success. You know, he shows up at, at Kapalua a couple of weeks ago. And you're thinking, okay, he's one of the top players in the world. Let's see it finishes 31st in a field of 42. And it's just kind of like, I, I never get him right. And, and I think it's just because he's solid everywhere and there's not these natural fits or natural places to, to lock him into our lineups. And to your point, that's where you embrace just the the sheer outright variance of golf. You know, it's like, when do you take Tony Finau? You know, if you're a Tony Finau guy, then maybe you take him four or five tournaments in a row because, you know, one or two of those he's going to pop. So, I mean, from a variance standpoint, I just I happen to think PGA DFS is just all over the board. So, you know, you don't necessarily you're not necessarily looking for that consistent golfer. So I understand the upside of Tony Finau. It's just a matter of the floor at this price range. Uh, how is there a price that Brooks Kepka could be that would interest you? I mean, he's $10,800 this week. He is, uh, you know, I've been saying one of the biggest question marks heading into 2021, because obviously we know what the ceiling is. The ceiling is multiple major championships. The floor has been pretty low. He was bad in 2020. He'd be the first to tell you that. Is there a price that would make Brooks Kepka more appetizing this week? It's an interesting question because we know just from the, the Patrick Cantlay lineup that I did earlier today, we know that we can probably have some extra dollars on the table. And so even if even if Brooks Kepa was, let's say, like a flat 10,000, which I honestly I think that's probably where personally that's where I think he would be a little bit more appetizing to me or like 10,100 or in that Patrick Reed range. But mm. you can I mean, it, listen, the reason I'm not taking Brooks Kepka, it's not because he's priced too high. First of all, he is priced too high, but that's not the reason I'm not taking him because I know I can maneuver my lineup to get a guy that's potentially priced too high. I just don't know where his game is. And so if I'm going to take somebody in that upper crust, I mean, it's going to be Patrick Cantley because again, just from a consistency standpoint, I feel like I can lean on that a little bit more with the same upside that Brooks Kepka will give me. Mm, interesting. Uh, the final guy that we didn't really mind into is Patrick Reed. I... I think Patrick Reed is kind of this low-key big game hunter. Six of his eight PGA Tour wins have come in like a major championship, tournament of champions, playoffs, WGCs. This isn't necessarily like a, a big-time event. Now, he has won it, right? Didn't he win this in like 2015? Um, but uh, again, with Reed, the rare the, the foreshadowing doesn't happen, right? Like it's it's going to be streaky. Uh, it's going to be a bit volatile or, or at least more volatile than some of these other guys in the 10K range. And he's coming off of a... Uh, a 56th place at Sony and then withdrew, or I'm sorry, didn't play, withdrew from the Sony because he had blisters and shin splints and all this other stuff. I'm like, oh my God, there's a lot going on with this guy. I might just pass. Yeah, it's going to be a pass for me. I'm a Patrick Reed guy. And honestly, from a DFS and outright betting standpoint, before the restart, he won me a decent amount of money. But here, I just, I, probably a little bit too too much volatility. And because I already think I'm going to pay up for Patrick Cantley, I don't think I'm going to have much read. I think we're going to have a lot of fun here in the 9K range. Sung J.M. leads it off. Matthew Wolf is 9,700. Scotty Scheffler, Ricky Fowler, Kevin Na, our most recent champion, and Abraham Answer, and Russell Henley round out this range. Before we dive into any names specifically, Sia, would you consider foregoing the entire 10K range and starting your lineups down here in the 9,000s. The first lineup I built did exactly that. And just spoiler alert, I had Matthew Wolf and Abraham Answer to start out my lineup. But frankly, Abraham Answer and Russell Henley, I think is a fine way to start out your lineup. 
Oh, man, there's so many good names. I don't even know where to start. Let's let's start. I guess we'll just start at the top. We'll start at Sung Jay. Um, I'm I'm a Sung Jay apologist, and I make no bones about it. But I look at what he did last week, and he loses three strokes on approach at the Sony Open. It is the most he has lost in that category in like ten starts on the PGA Tour. I don't think that he's going to lose another three strokes. In fact, in seven of his last 10, Sia, he's gained strokes on approach. So I think we got a bit of an outlier result from Sung Jay last week. He still made the cut. He still finished 56. I think there's a ton of upside in this number, uh, especially as this field got significantly weaker with the Rom WD. Well, especially in tournaments, right? Because his ownership percentage is probably going to fall. And I wouldn't say it's going to crater, but it's probably going to fall because of what he did last week. So I'll tell you personally, I'm probably not going to be on him because the funny part about Sung Jay is I'm not a Sung Jay guy. I just I just <laughs> rarely have in my lineups. However, last week I did have Sung Jay M locked in. I mean, practically lock buttoned in. And he was extremely underwhelming. So I'd prefer to go to some of these more like I shouldn't say more upside guys, but there's definitely a few guys on this list that I like from an upside standpoint. Okay, let's let's talk about Scotty Scheffler. I think he's a guy that you are at least focused on. Is that right? It is. It is. I mean, he's a birdie maker for one. Um, he's one of those guys, like in this particular setup, I think he's one of those guys that can get really hot. And just from a scoring standpoint, whether it's FanDuel or DraftKings, just string together so many points on any given day. Now, he can have a couple bad days too, but again, in DFS, that really doesn't matter as much unless one of those bad days prevents you from making the cut. So, yeah, I like – you know what, Rick? I like so many guys on this list. <laughs> I mean, the only guys I frankly don't like uh, – I don't like Sungjae enough to really play him. I never like Ricky Fowler. I literally never play that guy. And then Kevin Nye also never play. And now that he's coming off a win, it's just my lean is always to maybe just get off the guy. Ricky Fowler's last top 10 was this event last year. Just like let that sink in for a second. It's been a year, and and even that top ten see it was disappointing because he was your thirty six hole leader last year. I remember I had an outright on him. I think I had him in a bunch of DFS lineups. I think I used him in one and done. I'm counting my money. I'm checking everything. You know, going into Saturday, like this is awesome. Ricky's going to run away with this thing. He falls to T ten, and that was his last top ten. Him and Brooks Kepka, easily the two biggest question marks entering into twenty twenty one. And so let me add something on Ricky Fowler because he hasn't qualified for the Masters yet. And I think there's going to be a narrative that builds this week like, well, listen, he's got to do well because he obviously wants to qualify for the Masters. Well, I believe that narrative was also the same before the break at Mayakoba. And, and frankly, I, that might have been the one time I actually played him in a couple lineups and he didn't even make the cut. So narrative building, I love Rick, but with respect to Ricky Fowler, not in love with it. Spoiler alert. Every golfer wants to make the Masters, right? <laughs> like that is the same narrative for everyone. And it's the same narrative for all the guys who are within, you know, the top 100 in the world who all think I'm a win away from moving up into the top 50, getting my invite to Augusta National. Like if these guys could just flip the switch on and off when they were motivated, I think we'd see a lot more guys contend more often. So uh, I'm, I'm just going to take a very... Uh, very much a wait and see approach on Ricky Fowler moving forward. And if we start to see some signs, if he starts to figure out the irons, or even if the, I mean, that putter, which has been, you know, such a big aspect. Uh, an asset of his game over the over how many years has kind of left him. So I, I need to see a bit more before I, I hop back on. But I've got another Oklahoma State Cowboy here in the 9K range, Matthew Wolf at 9700, who 
you know, it, golf is so funny. See ya. You know, you know, this time last year, remember Matthew Wolf went uh, basically a year between top tens. You know, he won the 3M Open. His next top ten wasn't until the Rocket Mortgage, and then he just started rattling off great finishes. Like we're never gonna go another full year again with Matthew Wolf not cashing a top 10 and, and his game is so good right now. And I think he's one of these guys that, that can kind of get hot in a moment's notice and rack up the birdies. Yeah. He's one of my favorite guys in general. And it's funny because we always group him with Victor Hovland with Colin Morikawa and rightfully so. And it's funny, like every three months, we all think that one of those three guys is the best. And <laughs> yeah. then like, and then one of them, like that's at the bottom of the three, like wins the tournament or, or, or ties for second or something. And then we think that guy's the best. So I think we're getting Matthew Wolf at, at a really good spot because frankly, he's been kind of middling lately. I mean, he, he missed the cut at the masters. And even before that, he wasn't fantastic and he hasn't played. So I don't think he's going to garner a ton of ownership and his upside. I mean, I, I, I don't really know anybody in this tournament that, has the upside that, that he has. I mean, I, I at least think he's in that top tier from a, hey, this guy can outright win it. And, and I think the last time I saw his odds, they were 23 to one. I kind of wish they were a little longer, but I, I still kind of like it. Uh, I got him at, so I was very aware when the John Rom news broke this morning and I got him before all those lines cratered. I think I have him at 28. I, I was I was furiously when I saw the Rom news and I opened up William Hill and there were odds still available. So you should it, it was uh, all strategy went out the window. I just started making bets on everybody that I thought I love was that. <laughs> I love that. And I, and I missed the window. I'm so disappointed in myself that I missed the window because you lost like five units, you know, yeah. depending yeah. on who you wanted to take. Yeah, well, when uh, Martin Laird wins, it's not going to matter anyway. But uh, it, it was it was fun for yeah those those fifteen minutes that I had on on a Monday morning. Uh, we have to talk about Abraham Answer. Uh, he is uh, interesting to say the least for this week. He was a popular fantasy option last week. I know he made a lot of one and done uh, lineups, and then he goes out and misses the cut at Wiley, which should have been a really good fit for him. Now. He goes to the California desert and we know this has been an event that he's found success at a runner up finish last year to Andrew Landry. And because of that miscut, I think we get a really good number on him. 9,100. This Sia is where you have to decide if you're willing to forgive and forget, or you're going to be a jaded owner from last week and you're going to stay away from him. Well, I'm willing to forgive and forget for, for a couple reasons. And by the way, this is why I started Answer and Henley in, in one of my lineups and then just went down from there because both of those guys last week hit the ball really well. Their ball striking was just fine, if not great. It's just they lost so much with the putter. And, you know, you embrace this just as much as anyone. Where, you know, the, where if, you're, if you're talking variance, it's the putter that can just flash from bad to good from day to day or tournament to tournament. So mm -hmm. given the ball striking that both of those guys had, I, I love both of them. And frankly, from a one and done standpoint, I think I'm going to jam in answer this week. Uh, I don't hate it. I, I certainly don't. I mean, listen, he outside of the missed cut that he had last week, he's missed like two cuts in, I don't know, 25 starts or something like that. It's very uncharacteristic of him. Uh, I agree with you. I'm willing to forgive and forget. You mentioned Russell Henley. I couldn't even. OK, as of us. I don't even say recording this. We're live. We're live on YouTube right now. Russell Henley is not in the FanDuel player pool. Um, I <laughs> 
don't know what happened. I don't know if they forgot about him. I had to check five times to make sure he hadn't WD'd. Uh, I assume they're going to add him maybe after the Monday qualifiers, but he, as, as I'm speaking right now, not in the player pool on FanDuel, which was a bit shocking. Well, now we have to play Russell Henley because, <laughs> because of course, that's bulletin board material for Russell, right? Like he's going right. to see that and he's going to he's going to feel slighted. So you, you got to jam him in your lineups. You left me out of the player pool. How could you? Um, OK, I want to jump into the 8K range and we're going to talk a lot of value. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. It's a really fine line creating workout clothes that are great in the gym and workout clothes that are also great to look at outside the gym. And Viore has threaded that needle. They are designed to work out in, but they don't look like it. They don't feel like it. And it's incredibly comfortable stuff, whether you are running, training, swimming, doing yoga, running errands, lounging around the house. It really doesn't matter. These are versatile clothes. You'll find me often in the men's Sunday performance jogger because I, I like the jogger situation that goes on down at the bottom, but they're very comfortable. Uh, they've got a little bit of a shorter inseam, so they're not as bulky as, as other pants or other joggers that I have seen out there. And I've really enjoyed how they work both in and out of the gym. So now here's what you can do for four, our listeners, uh, first time purchasers are getting 20% off. All you have to do is go to viori.com slash first. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash first. Again, not only will you receive 20% off your first order, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. And here's my favorite part, free returns. Yeah, go check it out. Viori.com slash first and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. Did you know that more than 75% of Americans will experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% will seek out a solution for that pain? Those numbers do not add up to me, and I know it can be confusing, the biomechanics of the foot, the bones, the muscles, everything in between, but solving foot pain is simple, and that's where Superfeet comes into play. These Superfeet insoles go into your shoes, give your feet comfort and support where they need it the most, and redistribute the forces that reduce both stress and strain through your entire body, not just your feet. Insoles have been uh, phenomenal for me uh, personally, and they are clinically proven to decrease fatigue, reduce injury, and improve comfort. I can attest to that myself, especially when walking a, a lot of golf holes that I play. So if you feel good, you play good, you look good, everything works out from there and it starts from the bottom up. Visit superfeet.com and enter promo code FIRST at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. And we're back. $8,000 range on drafting. I won't read them all, but there's a couple interesting names at the top. Cam Champ, Phil Mickelson, Paul Casey. And it goes down to Brian Harmon, Adam Hadwin, who has had a heck of a lot of success around this event, and Ryan Moore. So who in this range, Sia, is moving the needle for you? Uh, Patton Kazire is, uh, he's not a guy I'm normally on, but honestly, he's sort of playing out of his mind right now. And, and, and it's the type of guy where I might be late to the party, I got to admit, because people have been on him for, for you know, a few months now, but I'm still a little early. And so I, I think I want to take him and, and Siwoo Kim, another guy that is typically a great ball striker. I like Siwoo Kim a lot. I mean, at this price, I think Siwoo could contend in the top five. Do you have any concer concerns that Siwoo Kim shot an 87 in the opening round here last year and then withdrew? 
<laughs> so it's funny. It's funny because of all the hazards on this course, right? Because Siwoo was the type of guy, and we've seen this before, not just at that tournament, where once he loses it from a mental oh. game standpoint, it's over. It's done, and it's, like, really hard to see, right? We saw it just a, a six months ago. I'm trying to remember what tournament it was where he was in first place going into Sunday and just uh, – Wyndham, I think. I think it was Wyndham, and he just couldn't find anything. It was actually, like, kind of funny, but not at all. So, But, again, again, I, I'm going to bank on the fact that he's not going to have one of those bad days, and he's certainly not, not a lock-button guy, but the guy strikes the ball really, really well. He played well last week, so I'll go ahead and take a chance on him again. Yeah, he does it. And I certainly do not expect an 87 coming in. But I mean, see, listen, you know what you're going to get from Siwoo. It's it's Ricky Bobby. It's it's first or last. <laughs> he's he's going out there and he's either going to run away with this thing by five shots or he's going to crash and burn. And if that is the type of golfer that you want in your lineups to add a little bit of volatility to, you know, potentially snag a bit of that top five potentially winning upside. Like, I don't hate it. You're right. He did play well. I mean, he really kind of played himself out of it on Friday last week. He shot an even par round of 70 you can't you can't do that at my line. uh the the other three rounds were were just fine he hit the ball well he even putted well so uh i i just wanted to work in an, a siwoo 87 reference in there but by all means i mean he, he has been playing well for sure yeah i mean listen D, dj shot a couple 80s last year right so i <laughs> mean anything's okay possible um, I'm laser focused on on sam burns and i want to know how crazy i am for this so uh, Sam Burns checks off three boxes for me. Uh, one of the boxes is that he has a weapon, which is his driver. So this year on the PGA Tour in strokes gained off the tee, it's Bryson DeChambeau, Rory McIlroy, Sam Burns, pretty good company to keep. Uh, then you look at his recent form, and he's got two top sevens this season, and one of them in his last start. That was Houston, but that was two months ago. Two months ago, see it. Like, I, I don't know what to expect from a guy who's had two months off of, of competitive uh, golf. And then he checks off the third box because you look at what he's done at this event, and yeah. you see he's played it twice, 18th, 6th. And I'm like, oh, my God, here I am at $8,300, like hitting the lock button on Sam Burns, my outside my mind. No, I mean, everything you just said is really compelling. I think on this particular course, I think a lot of people might shy away from him just because his power tool, if you will, is not necessarily something you absolutely need here. But that's all the more reason to take him because, I mean, even if, listen, it's he has plenty of upside. And and if he gains off the tee because he's he's got, you know, a hammer with the driver, if, if he even uses the driver more often than some of these other guys, that's great. I mean, I'm I'm personally not on him, but I honestly, now that you mention it, geez, <laughs> the guy was sixth here last year. He's coming off a seventh at Houston again, which which two months ago isn't that long ago, frankly. Um, no, I like it. I, I think he's worthy of being in lineups, especially at this price. Uh, I certainly want to see it later as we go on in the week what that what that projected ownership number comes in at because I think that'll uh, help make a lot of decisions, especially in this eight thousand dollar range. Is there any way I could sell you shares of Phil Mickelson at this point? No, no, <laughs> don't even try it. There's no chance I'm taking any Phil Mickelson indefinitely. It's really not even about this course. I'm just I'm I've never really been on. Well, I guess I have, but not in the last year or two have I been on the Phil Mickelson train. So you know, count me out on that one. What about you? You, Rick, are, are we jamming in Phil? Um, no, I, I, I can't see how you can. Like, I, I know that this is an event that he's played a ton. He's had a ton of success at. He's got six top tens in his 17 trips. He's got multiple victories. I get it. It's Phil. He's popular. We are not looking at the same version of Phil Mickelson as even as, I don't know, 18 months ago or something like that. I mean, it, it's it's just been 
whack-a-mole. You know, he's always been loose with the driver. Uh, he can't figure out the irons. And even the magic short game has has left him. And Father Time remains undefeated. The guy's 50 in a couple of months, and he's going to dominate on the Champions Tour. And we've seen how few times a 50-year-old golfer has won on the PGA Tour. I think it's like seven or eight. So if you were to actually win a golf tournament moving forward on the PGA Tour, it would be historic. It would literally be historic is the, is the only way to describe it. So um, no, I would say until further notice you can't really expect much out of Phil on the PGA tour. And by the now, way, draft Kings wants to drop champions tour slates. I've got a different, <laughs> I've got a different take for it. <laughs> and, and by the way, if you want to play Phil in like a, a showdown lineup or something uh, that that's fine. Uh, but if you're playing him on the full, you know, the, the, the full, like the real tournaments, you know, Henley and Abraham answer are two and 300 more than him. Like why? Or you drop down to Adam Long, who has been very successful here. Like there's not really a reason to play Phil. If he was 8,200 or 8,000, then maybe it's a different analysis. But you're 200 away from these extremely good ball strikers. I don't know why you would do that. That's actually a really interesting take. Uh, it, the, the showdown situations like you you want to get phil in the smallest possible sample sizes mm -hmm. i think you don't want to count on him for 72 straight but for 18 you know maybe he makes a couple birdies in a row he can find a magic out there for a while i i actually think that is a very solid approach to deploy if you if you if you need to deploy phil mickelson in your lineups uh i think showdown is certainly the place to do it i like that a lot and throw him in throw him in with tony fee now just make sure it's not a sunday <laughs> there you go saturday at uh at the stadium course Finau and Mickelson are going to win you all the showdown money. Uh, Adam Hadwin is a flat $8,000, and I think that he's going to garner, uh, I, I would say, more ownership here than probably any other event that we get Adam Hadwin in at any year, right? I mean, the last four years alone at this event, he's been absolutely phenomenal. I guess his last four trips. So he went runner-up in both 19 and 17. He had a T3 in 18 and a T6 in 16. So that is four consecutive top six finishes. Uh, I uh, This goes against my my grain because see as you mentioned earlier like these guys that rely on the fl the flat stick or especially getting hot in 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 ways they scare me because i think that goes away but adam hadwin has been able to keep it going four straight starts here how how do you feel about him this week well i don't want to lean on recent history too much because we don't have much of it but if you look at his last like four or five tournaments i mean it's pretty bad i mean missed yeah. cuts missed cut missed cut and then i think before that you know he barely made the cut so it's just listen if i'm in that range i'd probably because i think adam hadwin even though he has good course history i think he's a relative unknown unknown because of his recent history in spite of what we know about his ball striking but if i'm going in that range in that particular range i might go to to ryan moore or evr you know, that's mm. that's probably where I'm going to be pivoting from Adam Hadwin. EVR is interesting. You know, he the, the raw talent is there, and I don't know how often he puts it together, but you're getting to a, a kind of a critical mass of 7,900 bucks in this field, and that that's that's pretty appealing. So let, let's jump down to this 7K range. That's a good intro into it. And Sia, I think there is a free space potentially in this in this tier, I think there's a guy who might be the most popular golfer on the slate. Now, you and I have never done this show before, so I'm not going to make you guess it, but I think it's I think it's Doc Redman. I was going to guess that, oh, I swear. Okay. Hold on. Let's, okay, go ahead. See, guess who this might be. Oh, I think you're going with Doc Redman here. It's got to be Doc. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Why, why Doc? Why, why did you come to the same conclusion that I did? Well, because he's a great ball striker, and he's clearly – well, I shouldn't say he's clearly underpriced because from what I recall, I don't think he's been – super great lately uh i know there was a tournament i leaned on him recently and he he completely something the bed so 
Yeah, but classically, he's a he's a great ball striker. So in 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 he's priced in in a really good spot. I, I don't know that I think he's going to be a super popular guy because I know there's a lot. Well, you know, maybe he is in this range. He probably will be among the top three percentage wise. He did limp uh, to the finish line a bit at the end of 2020. He finished 61st at Houston, and then he missed the cut at RSM, which I think he was pretty popular there. He's probably one of the top. He could have been like top eight in odds that week. He might have been like 33 to one or something like that. He opened up at 135 to one this morning. I saw that line, a bit of movement into it, but you do look at some of the upside, the T3 at Wyndham, the T3 at Safeway, the T4 at Bermuda and the appeal of a good ball striker. I mean, it just, it just travels. And I, I do think he's one good breakaway maybe on a Sunday where a putt drops for him from, from hoisting a trophy. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he's popular here. Who else could move the needle, could garner some attention in this range? Aside from EVR, who who I'm, gen, I'm generally not an EVR guy, but he, his ball striking again was really good last week and he just lost a ton with the putter. So I feel like just from from an approach standpoint in particular, I feel like you can lean on that. Um, Grio, I like a lot. I, I always like Grio. And again, he has the issue with the putter, but his ball striking is fantastic. So it's one of those things where you got to embrace the variance of the putter. Now, in, in Griot's case or like Ben An's case, like usually there's no variance. It's just a, a terrible putter. But I mean, I've seen Griot put it together before. So I like him. Joel Damon, I like a lot because he is, again, in that sort of Scotty Scheffler mold where he can blow up or like even Siwoo Kim, he can blow up, but he can put a really good couple rounds together and really get the fantasy scoring down for you, even in two days over a four-day period. I like him. And then um, I'm going to go back to Hogue this week. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I want to get to that in a second. But uh, Grio, let me mine into that a little bit because historically over the past three or four years, Grio has been one of the most frustrating rosters in, a, in in DFS purposes for all the reasons that you mentioned. He's going to be a great ball striker and he is literally going to miss putts and flip off the ball. Like you like literally caught him on camera, like throwing up the middle <laughs> finger. Like that's how he feels uh, when he's on the putting greens, which is a bit scary. Recently, he's been a lot more consistent. Uh, his last 13 events, he's only missed one cut. I would venture to say without diving deep into the database, that's probably one of the best stretches of cuts made for him in a long time. He just is finding a way to get to the weekend. He had a top 20 at the RSM. He had a top 10 at Mayakoba. I, I think he's sneakily getting more consistent and maybe people aren't realizing it. So that's, that's pretty interesting. And then you mentioned, uh, Tom Hoagie. Is that what it was? Was that the Tom name? Tom Hoagie. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about Hoagie. I mean, Hoagie's a great ball striker. He he let everybody down. I think, you know, he was pretty popular last week. I know he was in a lot of my lineups, so he let me down as well. But he's classically a good ball striker. You know, he's okay off the tee, I suppose. But it's really his approach, which he's going to need on, on these courses. I was going to say this course, but these courses. <laughs> and, you know, frankly, again, last week he was another one of those guys. He missed the cut, but it was mostly because he lost a ton with his putter. And he's like, if you look at his just like his – his base putting numbers, they're not that bad. So it was just a really bad putting couple of days for him. So I think it's its a perfect – this is one of those things where, Rick, and, and we can talk about this if you want, but a guy really lets you down one tournament, <laughs> and you're like, I'm not picking him again. Well, for me, I fall into that trap all the time, but usually I need more of a sample size than the two days I was awarded You know, the previous week. So if he lets me down again, then okay, maybe there's something wrong with his game a little bit. But I'm not going to pivot off of him at the same exact price – uh, with with a guy who I know is striking the ball well. 
Okay. Well, I, I, I think that is a really great thing to dive into. Uh, cause I, Brendan Steele I, here, here's the thing with Brendan Steele. We have a rece- uh, a perception versus reality issue with Brendan Steele. Uh, when you look at his third place finish last week, if you watched what happened, if you paid attention, it was a disappointment. The guy should have won. He entered Sunday with a two-stroke lead. Now for the second straight year, he's kind of coughed it up at the Sony Open in the final round. And he's going to feel like that was a disappointment, or at least his backers are going to feel like that was a disappointment. I look at it and say, listen, if I would have had Brandon Steele in my lineup and you would have told me on, on Wednesday evening he was going to finish third, I would have been absolutely thrilled. Obviously, he's in good form. It's hard to win golf tournaments. So that's where you strike the balance of, oh my gosh, am I willing to buy back in? Do I think that that loss took anything out of him? Do I think that the form is, is good enough? So like, I think Steele at 7300 especially with the price increase that we saw Kevin Na get, right? A couple thousand bucks or whatever. Brendan Steele still sitting down here at 7300 Like the, the the wrestling match that we have with our minds trying to figure out if he's a good player or not. Yeah, and it's you're so right because I always have a blind spot for Brandon Steele. And, and I guess deservedly so, but to your point, he shouldn't be 7300 I mean, he played really well last week. He, he typically plays really well early in the season. So, yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely love that play. And by the way, in that range, this is a guy that I, I'm kind of a sucker for. And But I do think he grades out well for this course. And I will have him in a lot of DFS lineups. And maybe as a first-round leader as well. I'm going to throw that in there. Ooh. Cameron Tringal. I, I like the guy. He's good. Again, he's good on approach. Recent form is good. He was third at the RSM. Right before that, he was top 30. Um, so for a guy priced at 7,400 on DraftKings, I think he's not going to be super popular because there's other guys to pivot to in this range, like your Joel Domins, your Doc Redmonds, your Brandon Steeles. So I think he's sort of an outlier in this range. So I, I think I'm going to have a few shares here. He's uh, got one of the sweetest swings on the PGA Tour. That's certainly uh, for sure. I'll throw, okay, let's play first round leader game. Uh, Peter Malnati. First of all, oh, Peter wow. Malnati is a psycho. He's an absolute <laughs> psycho. This guy, okay, I think he finished, I can pull this up real quick. Um, he finished 14th, T14 last week. First of all, he was the 11th highest scoring DraftKings player. And of all the guys who finished T14 with him, there were five of them. Malnati scored the most points because he's a, like a birdie bogey machine. He'll make five bogeys in a row, doesn't care, comes back, rattles off six birdies. I mean, he's an absolute nut. He's in a really good mental space right now. He's having a great start to 2021. He's had a couple, he had a close call at Sanderson Farms. Like that, that volatility, it can go wrong. But when you're talking about like first round leader or showdown, like just inject that volatility right into me like i absolutely love it a hundred percent and that's how you should look at these guys especially from a first round leader or showdown standpoint but you know peter malnati can he can put four rounds together and that's the beauty of dfs golf right it's you have this situation where like a guy can be generally pretty bad but you know he has the upside to be good you know one out of every five or six events and i'm just kind of throwing numbers out but yeah, Malnati's one of those guys. And, and typically, classically, in that seven low 7K range, high 6K range, you have those guys that can go off at any given moment, especially if they're a course fit. Um, there's a question in the chat that we can address. So, so Jesse wants to know, who are the course history pros we actually feel confident about this week? And the issue with this, and, and you can go, the, you know, we only have the shot link data from the stadium course. So there is shot link data out there, but for... Uh, historically, the other two courses, we don't have a lot of data whether, you know, Adam Hadwin shot a 59 because he gained nine strokes putting or if he was firing darts or if it was a combination of both. So I guess let's have a conversation about how we're even handling course history this week, because this is a popular event in a good location. Some of these guys have played this event a lot, but I don't know how much we can actually glean from it. 
Well, I put a little bit more weight on course history because we don't have much by way of recent history. And I, I do like to measure those along with, you know, the, the classic strokes gain data. And so, you know, again, without recent history, I, I do want to. But but listen, I'm not going to be beholden to it. Adam Long was was part of his question. I like Adam Long. I, I think Adam Long has some upside. He's actually proven it on this course. But with that said, am, am I putting Adam Long in like, uh, you know, however you want to phrase it, my core lineup, or am I putting him in, you know, 20, 30% of builds? No, probably not, because I like I like other guys. So it's something I want to consider, but I'm not going to put a ton of weight on it. I'm just kind of scrolling through, guys, this event, shot link data for this event, and guys that have like at least 10 rounds or so, and I see names like Abraham Answer, who's gaining a shot, uh, 1.7 strokes per round. I'm seeing Brian Harmon. I'm seeing your boy Tom Hoagie. I'm seeing Martin Laird. I mean, there there are options. I, I just say, Take it a bit with grain of salt. I, I do I do find the challenge in the fact that we don't have recent history and I don't think we have great like tournament history. So we're kind of just doing a bit more guessing, a bit more gut feel, which I don't usually like to do. I like to bend the knee to the numbers, but this week is uh, a bit different, I would say. Yeah. I mean, you know, eye test is a part of the evaluation. I mean, so even if you want to talk about recent history, just the last two events in Hawaii, I mean, those are all things to consider with the the strokes gain data and everything else you want to factor in there. Of course, history, recent history, all of that. A massive $6,000 range that starts with Branton Grace, Brant Snedeker, Danny McCarthy, and goes all the way down to the min, uh, Martin Trainer, who made the cut last week for the first time in a while. He's a dead $6,000 player along with Hunter Mahan. And I want to start with one guy in particular, Sia, because we have a little outline, and I have this guy as a play, and you have him as a fade, so now we go into the Thunderdome, and we have to battle this out to the death, and it's Denny McCarthy. So what makes him a fade for you this week? You know, I, I guess it's it's more just the hype of Denny McCarthy than anything. But to your credit, that hype has actually vaulted him into this like bottom end range, this 6K <laughs> range. So I'm actually wrestling with it. I, I don't know what to do with Denny McCarthy. I mean, if you look at his recent form, it's not good. You know, miscut at Mycoba, miscut at RSM, although he was pretty good before that at Houston and, and at the Bermuda. But, you know, his course history here isn't very good either. He's just one of those guys that I think over the last, I don't know, six to eight months since the restart, everybody was always sort of like, hey, Denny McCarthy, he's he's the he's the value play in such and such range. Mm -hmm. And I, I played it a little bit here and there. But the point is, he's literally like I just hasn't proven it lately. And so I don't it, again it, where he's priced. There are other guys that I like. So it's just not going to be for me. But given his price, he certainly presents value. I will say that he has not lived up to the hype. I would, I will say that even the fourth in Bermuda, where I think he was fairly popular, but there have been weeks where you know he's been a fairly chalky play and he's and he's let us down. I, I see it this way. You know, we haven't seen him since Mayakoba, so it's been a handful of weeks. He's still one of the best putters on the planet. He started to make strides with the ball striking after the 3M Open last year. It, this might be a bit wishful thinking on on Denny McCarthy and, and grasping at at a few more starts. So I, I think he's one guy that I'm going to pay close attention to this week, one way or another. Whether he misses the cut, whether he contends, uh, whatever it might be, I think he's a guy that if he if he can figure it out. He, he unlocks a lot of options moving forward. And if if not, I guess we can 
we can forget about them for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a smart play, though. Again, a lot of this stuff, at least on my end, is value driven. If I see a guy that's really dropped in price, I'll give you an example. I was all over Ryan Palmer two weeks ago. He was 7,000 on DraftKings. And I, I literally, I do a write-up every week. And in my write-up, I literally said, and I quote, this is a very disrespectful price to Ryan Moore. Because it was. Because Ryan Moore can really flash, and he's been very good. And then the next week, last week at the Sony, he was 9,200. Now, granted, the fields are different. The composition is different a little bit. But the point is, take the guy when his value is least you know buy low if you will and if you are if you are a denny mccarthy fan then you have to buy him here because he's 6900 i listen yeah i'm sold that's fine you mentioned uh you mentioned there's other guys in this range that you like more than him so let's hear those guys that you like more than him some funny names here. So Kyle Stanley, for one, uh, he missed the cut last week. But again, another good ball striker. He's usually really great on approach. He just didn't make it happen. So I'll go back to him. That, that's another guy that can get hot in a round. So whether it's showdown or first round leader, I promise you I'll have a few bucks on Kyle Stanley as first round leader because he can flash in, in 18. But, um, you know, Kramer Hickok has actually been pretty good lately. If you look at his approach numbers, those are solid. Tyler Duncan's another guy that – you know, every once in a while, he just kind of shows up towards the top of leaderboards. Usually it's like day one or day two, but he's very accurate off the tee, which is solid here. He's very good on approach. So I like Tyler Duncan and Ryan Armour is another guy that, again, he's a short hitter. So that's not really going to affect him here. It's not a super long course, uh, but, you know, on his good days, he's very good on approach. And even post restart, I think he contended a, a couple tournaments in a row. He was kind of near that top five. I think he finished maybe second and then, you know, was in the top 10, the tournament right after that. So we've seen the upside with him. And at 6,600, I think there's some value there. Kramer Hickox really interesting. Um, he was ninth in strokes gained T to green last week. And I think if you would have asked me who finished like in the top, I don't know, whatever of, of strokes gained T to green, I would have guessed 120 guys before I got to Kramer Hickox. To be, to be quite honest, he was, he was diabolical off the tee. Uh, he gained strokes on approach. He was like, it, it's, it's really interesting. He finished 19th. Like that's, I'm, I'm interested in that. That is a name that, uh, I had not considered until it came out of your mouth. So thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Um, going down even deeper than this, we, we start to get into and And if you're going to start in the nine K range, maybe you don't have to venture down to, the Christopher Venturas or the Akshay Batias of the world or anything like that. But I will make note that John Augustine is making his professional debut this week. Uh, that might be a name that you remember from the Masters. So he uh, was going for uh, low am uh, at at the Masters. He finished second, uh, but he finished 55th in the in the in the actual tournament. And he's making his pro debut. He's out of Vanderbilt, and I, I think. And this is a really weird concept, Sia. The unknown entity. The un we have no idea what he's going to do. He might be the worst guy in the field this week. He might okay. He might finish fifty second like he did at the Masters. But the unknown entity is a bit appealing because a lot of these guys down here are known entities, and what we know about them isn't very good. <laughs> That's true. You know, one guy uh, last week that I was on that was sort of a, still a little unknown was Kanaya, and he almost Takumi, yeah. Yeah, he almost pulled through for me, but he didn't. But, you know, he had a respectable day for given his status on the tour. But, yeah, I don't mind that play. I mean, I, I remember it was, I guess, day one and day two, or especially day one, Augustin was like, he was like charging up the board, was he not, Rick? 
Uh, I believe that is correct. Yeah, I mean, these these kids, we've been talking about this for so long. The line is blurring between uh, the best players on the PGA Tour and the worst players on the PGA Tour. And then from there to the Corn Ferry and then from there to college. And like, I mean, these the lines are blurring. These guys are really, really good and they can put it together. And, he, and this is a price tag that if he finds the weekend, you're thrilled. That's all you're asking. Yeah, I agree. By the way, one guy I do want to point out, I, I'm not a Jason Duffner guy, but he does grade out pretty well on this course. He's usually really good on approach. Um, he's 6,500. If you, if you want to dip that low, maybe it's a, a you know an MME or something. I think he's he's worthy of a play down in that range. And he's won it before. He won it in 2016, the Career Builder Challenge. He won in a playoff against David Lingmurth. Wow, that's a name I have not thought about <laughs> in quite some time. Uh, okay, Sia, before we put a bow on all of this, you know the weeks where you have the course rotation are always a bit interesting. So are you going to try to play the game where you're going to do, we're going to look at the weather and you're going to see if there's any advantages over the, over the first two days and see if you want your guys to start on the stadium course or the Nicholas course, you're just going to roll out six guys and let, let uh, everything play out as it might. Uh, you know, I, I always look for the weather, of course, from a, just an AM PM standpoint, actually that would have helped you out a little bit last week. Cause the afternoon guys on Thursday turned out to be, uh, you know, Quite a bit better. I think they were one stroke better. Um, Which but, on average is a, is a pretty huge deal. A pretty big difference. Huge. And, yeah. and, and I'm sorry that I, I wasn't a part of, you know, stacking my team that way because I didn't think the weather was going to be enough of a difference. But that's an aside. To, to answer your question, no, I don't see a lot of difference in two courses. Obviously, one has way more hazards than the other. But when, it, you know, it, they still require the same thing, which is, you know, Decent off the tee, great on approach. And, you know, obviously, you know, the putter's the putter, you know, you know. So, no, I don't think I'm going to be leaning one way or the other. How, how about you? What's the analysis there? Um, I, I'll wait and see, right? That's the, that's the, I'll check out on Wednesday and see. I mean, they, these courses relatively are, are almost always uh, playing similarly uh, and, and they're close enough where it's not going to make too much of a difference. So I'm, I'm going to wait and see. I doubt there's going to be a significant advantage one way or another, but um, I'm going to wait as long as possible because obviously, you know, those Santa Antas can roll in and, and wreak some havoc. Hey, Rick, I got to say, um, I hope this isn't too soon, but Ben Taylor is 6,000 on draft. Uh, apparently, Ben Taylor is the best golfer on the planet. <laughs> and I literally just sent this morning, my first thing this morning was uh, order a bottle of wine to Mark Immelman's house, send it over there because Ben Taylor missed the cut and won a wine wager. Which, by the way, I think moving forward, see, I'm going to have to put a little caveat in these wine wagers. Like, if both guys miss the cut, it's a wash. I'm not, I'm not, you know, uh, we're not playing the game of what they actually shot. No, Rick, I think you played it right. I think you played it right. One guy played better than the other. And for the record, I would have been on your side of that bet as well. Uh, thank you very much. There you go. That's it. The DFS preview for this week's American Express. That's Sia Najad, who we really appreciate hopping on. Thank you. You can find him on Twitter at Sia Najad. You can find me at Rick Run Good. Producer Jacob behind the glass. This has been The First Cut, and we'll catch you next time.